This podcast is intended for mature audiences. Listener discretion is advised. We understand that some of our opinions will not be shared with many people and hope you can still bear with us in order to hear amazing Wisconsin-based stories. We are not licensed therapists or able to give legal advice by any means. Our show notes will provide all of our source materials included for each episode. Now Now on on to to the the show. Welcome back to another episode of All the Sins of Wisconsin. I'm Fallon, and I'm here with Mims. Hello. And uh, you have any true crime news you want to talk about this week? Um, did I? I don't know if I did. Well, <laughs> so I was listening to um, MFM the other day, and it was their newest episode, and they did the uh, the case of Centoya Brown. Okay. Um, and then it was kind of a cool segue into what just recently happened. Um, I forget. I think it was Tennessee. Um, a bunch of either elementary school or middle school children were arrested because they were um, in a video where these other kids were fighting. And um, the youngest one, I believe, was like nine years old. And they were arrested and charged for being accessory to a crime um but i just seen another news article where um the dads of the children that go to that school have now taken it upon themselves to form like a, a group to go and like alternate times of when they go to the school and basically just as like a watch for them to make yeah. sure that that doesn't ever happen again yeah, I can't imagine if my nine-year-old got arrested, well, he wouldn't be going back to school because no. I'm extra crazy. Yeah. I would have told off everybody at school. Absolutely. I can't even imagine. Yeah. I mean, it's horrific. Like, police interactions with a nine-year-old. Cuffing, a, cuffing a kid like that. And, like, apparently they they rightfully so responded by, like, throwing up or, like, just falling to their knees and just being over taken by fear i would assume because right there i mean how do you how are you used to that at that age or at any age and do you know what race the kids were black yeah so they're probably scared of the police to begin with if they you know absolutely familiar with everything that's been going on in our country i know my children are and they generally like they like their liaison officers at school and whatever but If it came down to getting arrested, I'm sure they would be terrified for their lives. Especially seeing, like, you know, they wear their, their gun on their hip. And, yeah. I mean, it, that's a serious situation to be in. And yeah. a kid shouldn't have to go through that. For being in a video, that's outrageous. Like, they didn't even do anything. They just no. they just were observing. Yeah. Yeah. and, and Which, who hasn't seen a middle school fight? Right. Who hasn't been a Or part? elementary school. I guess if they're nine, they're not even in middle school yet. That's like... Yeah third or fourth grade yeah so it was very sweet to see that the dads were like 
no, we're going to be there. Yeah. We're, we're not going to let this happen. They even had, like, matching T-shirts. Oh, I love that. It was very cute. It shouldn't be necessary, no. but I'm glad that they came together for the kids. Yeah. 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 And then I wanted to... We're starting off sad today. <laughs> I wanted to talk briefly about the Oklahoma justice system. Mm, yeah. So there was another botched execution in Oklahoma. And I bring that up because there's somebody, Julius Jones, that's fighting for clemency right now. Mm-hmm. And the parole board has said he should not be getting the death penalty. Like, they voted against it. Yeah. And for some reason, they still moved him to... Death row? Yeah, like the final place that you go for death row like they're getting him ready they're going through the final stages of what he has to do and they the probation and parole board uh said that his sentence should be commuted to life in prison with the possibility of parole he's 41 years old and he has maintained his innocence since the 1999 shooting death of a businessman paul howell And Jones alleges he was framed by his co-defendant who testified against him. And his co-defendant, who I believe was the actual shooter, was released after 15 years because he testified against Jones. And now Jones is facing the death penalty. And the death penalty is horrific. Mm. And even more so when it's continually botched like it has been in Oklahoma. So. Oh, so this is like a reoccurring thing in Oklahoma? Yes. Mm. Yeah, it's a reoccurring thing. And there's a lot of petitions out there for Julius Jones. Mm-hmm. So you can look and yeah. sign some of those. Okay. And there's all kinds of, there's like a justice for Julius Jones Instagram and they have numbers you can call. And that's awesome. Yeah. Well, we hope that everybody had a, a great and safe Halloween and uh, warm. I know it was yeah. a little chilly. It was cold. Yeah. Did you do anything? I didn't. I watched a whole bunch of Halloween movies. Um, I had a lot of other things going on. This is the first year that I didn't like host my own Halloween party. Yeah. Every year I host one. And then my husband was like, not this year. <laughs> He just doesn't, he's like such a homebody and I'm like, let's party. (laughs) (laughs) That's funny. Yeah. Um, So we kept it really low key. Yeah, I was lazy this year. Mm -hmm. I didn't even dress up. I didn't either. This was the first year that I didn't do anything. I didn't do any makeup. I didn't dress up. Yeah. I like, I was a slacker mom. I just went and bought my kids candy. (laughs) I did not want to deal with like the cold and going to strangers' houses that might have COVID. I don't blame you. I don't Might just be creepy. (laughs) Right, right. (laughs) So, yeah, we did, we just stayed home and ate snacks all day. That sounds like a great day. It was. It was (laughs) nice. My kids are a little annoyed with me, but they'll get over it. There's always next year. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, so we're gonna, I'm gonna keep on with the Halloween theme, because I'm still not, I'm not gonna give it up. Um, so this episode is being recorded two, well, I guess it's being released on Wednesday. So three days it's gonna be released, so, um, I wanted to keep the spooky vibe going. Um, so I am doing the story on Shaker's Cigar Bar, and it's not really a story there's multiple stories in it 
but it's like the the history of it. Awesome. So it's a place for sins, cigars, and spirits, the paranormal and alcoholic variety. Ooh. <laughs> I was excited about this one because I've never heard about it. No, I haven't either. Where is it? Um, so I'll tell you. Okay. Shaker's Cigar Bar is located on 422 South 2nd Street in Milwaukee's 3rd Ward and is quoted to be one of the most interesting spots in the whole state. Ooh. How we don't know about it <laughs> since it's quoted to be the most interesting. I don't know. We live under a rock. Apparently we do. <laughs> The Victorian-inspired building is tucked between renovated lofts and old-school bars and fancy new restaurants. So, it's... The third word is interesting. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 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 Uh, If you find yourself in front of a bar with a little ghost sign, you know you have found the right place. Okay, that's fun. Yeah. Um, It is a cigar bar, and it is the only place you can legally smoke inside in the city of Milwaukee. Oh, wow. The constant haze and scent of cigars and the pouring of bourbon gives it an old-school feel to it, and Shaker's Bar prides itself on its various vintage brown spirits and wines, even absinthe? Yeah. Yeah, even absinthe, too. Uh, Located in the historic Walker's Point area of Milwaukee, the building was constructed in 1894 and was built over one of the three original cemeteries in Wisconsin, just giving it that extra spooky vibe yeah um at that time as cemeteries became full and milwaukee was expanding many of the bodies would be moved or relocated to forest home cemetery however the move was dependent on whether or not your family cared enough to move you or if they had enough money to pay for the transfer Um, Unfortunately, many families did not have money to spare and so their family members likely remained and the, their original burials are now located beneath the now-standing cigar bar. Oh, wow. So that's crazy. <laughs> yeah. Like, oh, you don't have money. You already paid to bury them. You don't have money to move them again. So mm-hmm. they can just live under the bar. Well, and it kind of reminded me of some places where they, like, flood a town. And then it's yeah. like they there's a whole town underneath, like, this swamp yeah. water place where people go and like swim yeah. and what's that lake called i don't know but i know it's somewhere <laughs> you know what i know yeah. what you're talking about okay yeah i'm sure everybody listening does too <laughs> right so it's like what a recipe for disaster <laughs> for real yeah uh the building was originally built to serve as a schlitz brewery cooperage house it was intended to make huge barrels of beer to be brewed and transported in 1905, it was sold and used as a distribution center. In 1922, it exchanged hands again and was sold. Coal dust and oil was kept on the front windows and the front door remained locked. And entry to the city's newest speakeasy was through the alleyway entrance. The speakeasy was owned by Al and Frank Capone who owned it until 1946. They opened a soda bottling operation called the ABC Soda Company that served as a cover for the liquor being produced and consumed on site during Prohibition. Nice. I know. Um, so there is a couple of deaths during um, this building, um, and I'll get into that now. So this is Molly. 
uh, all kinds of illegal businesses practice like gambling, mob dealings, and a well-known and visited brothel that took over the second and third floor of the building was going on during the Capone's ownership, which is no surprise. I feel like you think Capone, you think of all these things. Right. It sounds like a quite happening place. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I guess it's always been like the place to be. (laughs) The attraction to this brothel mostly stemmed from all the underage girls who work there. I know. I know. At this time, there was a brothel employee named Molly who was said to be the number one worker. Apparently, in order to become an A-girl, she would have to be uh, sponsored from one of the wealthy brothel patrons. She also lived in the penthouse full-time and lived very comfortably. Molly's sponsor happened to be her uh, boyfriend's father, Patrick. Mm. Um, Interesting. Yeah, really gross. And due to the nature of everyone's relationship with Molly, things were sticky and gross. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, Patrick, who is actually the boyfriend, not the father, sorry, came to visit Molly at the brothel and was initially not allowed in in by security, but Patrick convinced them to let him go up to the penthouse. Uh, Once Patrick opened the door, he found himself looking at his own father and girlfriend in the act. Oh, wow. Yeah. Um, Patrick's father fled from the room, and Patrick flew into a rage, killing Molly as a result. He should have killed his dad. I, I mean, you shouldn't kill anyone. No, but-, <laughs> but, like, she's there working, and your father is going there willingly mm-hmm. to fuck your girlfriend. Yeah, that's on him. Exactly. She's just doing her job. Yeah. I mean, I would fight against that, but, I mean... Yeah, I mean, if you don't like her doing that job, then... That's a separate discussion. Don't date, don't date a brothel worker, then, if that's going to be yeah. a deal breaker for you. Right. Uh, knowing the Capone family would be outraged by the murder, Patrick and the bouncer burned her body in the fireplace of the penthouse. Patrick would later suffer the fate that he had been worried about and was murdered by someone affiliated by the Capones. Reports of Molly and Patrick still being active in the penthouse with visitors claiming that Molly is much more interactive with guests than Patrick, uh, with many hearing the sound of stilettos pacing on the hardwood floor. (laughs) I'm like, even after death, you got stilettos on. Good for you, girl. (laughs) (laughs) Right. I was just imagining her ghost, like, strutting around the penthouse. like, I still got it. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Years after Molly's murder, partial remains from her body were found in the wall of the penthouse as well. Oh, wow. So now we're going to go on to the two random unknown men. Uh, Another Capone-related incident happened between two unidentified men who were murdered in the basement during Prohibition due to the result of an illegal gambling card game. A large spot on the floor of the basement where the texture of the area appears to be quite different leads people to believe that the victims of the fight were buried underneath. Shadow people are witnessed in the basement, as well as with employees and tour patrons alike reporting having their hair pulled as well as being pushed from behind. Many of past and current employees refuse to go down in the basement for this type of paranormal behavior, and it's always said to be two men. I want to go. I know. I was literally (laughs) telling Jake that, too. I'm like, I want to go. He's like, all the way to Milwaukee? I'm like, yeah. It's only an hour. I know. He's weird. (laughs) (laughs) 
And then um, this one is going to be the last one. It's Elizabeth. The most famous entity that haunts the bar is a little girl referred to as Elizabeth. And I'm like, the most scary entities are always little girls, you know? Mm-hmm. And this is an old-timey entity, so okay. it makes it even more uh, spooky. The staff at Shakers believe that the little girl is the most active in the women's bathroom on the first floor of the building. As the story goes, she fell from an apple tree in the orchard that was just behind the cemetery where the building now stands. So that was way mm-hmm. back. The fall resulted in Elizabeth breaking her neck and dying instantly. She has been spotted several times in the ladies' room with many patrons claiming that they heard knocking on the bathroom door as well as reports of describing a 19th century style shoes being seen underneath the door. Oh, that's creepy. Yeah. Uh, A photograph of a young girl is located in the hallway outside of the women's bathroom with the story being that the photo came with the building when it was bought by the current owner. Oftentimes, the photograph is moved and is said to move on its own. No, She's like, like, no, I don't want my picture there. You this need isn't to put flattering. It here. Please move it. <laughs> <laughs> but apparently everybody just like puts it back and it's like, why do you keep doing that? She clearly wants it somewhere else. <laughs> move the damn picture. <laughs> so the current state of the bar. In 1986, the current owner, Robert Weiss, bought and occupied the building. Uh, here's a direct quote from Robert. When I opened up in 1986, almost... Out of the gate, we had contractors, otherwise rational people, starting to talk about their experiences here. The staff, again, almost out of the gate, had talked about things taking place. You can talk to any of the staff, and they've got a myriad experience that are as fresh as yesterday or last week that take place. Um, Shaker's Cigar Bar is the fifth most haunted bar in Wisconsin and is still frequently regularly frequented by people on tours or bar patrons they even do ghost tours that have received national recognition and here's a list of their tours and activities if you're interested oh the original shakers ghost tour the shakers ghost tour 2.0 a longer version of the original the cream city cannibal tour where you can walk in the footsteps of jeffrey dahmer Ugh. The Whoring Twenties. Eh? <laughs> that one sounds fun. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the Milwaukee Dead Tour, which explores the darker side of Milwaukee's history. And overnight stays in the former brothel area are offered as well. So, like, in the penthouse. Ooh, you can stay there all night. It is quite pricey, and a lot of people don't seem to stay the entire night. So I don't know about <laughs> paying all that for just leaving right away. <laughs> they get freaked out and run. Yeah, exactly. So, I mean, I'd be into it, but I also want to get my money's worth. (laughs) Right. So if we go, we're staying. (laughs) Unfortunately, yes. (laughs) So it is believed that there are at least two additional entities residing within the walls of Shakers. One is described as a man in a bowler hat. The other entity is reportedly a small boy known as Charlie. They don't have a lot of background to all these. So I didn't do a whole thing. Okay. Other encounters have been reported throughout the building. And here's a list. Full body apparitions. A black figure that is over eight feet tall, which is horrifying. That's, what would that be? I don't know. Uh, Extreme Mm. sudden drops in temperature, which is 
Yeah, I could see that. Yeah, that's mm. typical ghost behavior. <laughs> <laughs> uh, mist that will reportedly hover above people's heads. Ooh. Sensations of the building swaying. That would really... Like, oh, okay, or that they're just drunk. Yeah, are they drunk? <laughs> are you swaying? Right. Or is the building swaying? Right, nobody really knows. I uh, want to know. I don't know how I'd feel about the building swaying. Mm, well, if I was sober. Right, no, I would be freaked out. We would have to go and just be sober. Just to yeah. see, like, if these things were actually happening or if we're drunk. True. Um, experiencing a foreboding feeling almost as if danger is imminent. Disembodied voices, which I don't know what that means. Like, uh, just, just voices mm, that nope. are coming from nowhere. Ooh. Strange knocking throughout the building. Doors opening and closing on their own. Employees have even reported seeing a doorknob starting to spin by itself without anyone on the other side. I've seen that happen before. Oh, no way. <laughs> <laughs> Faucets and lights turning off and on with no human interaction. Things have also flown from shelves and pianos often played by themselves. Ooh. So I have a few stories about um, actual attendees and the tour guides. Um, here's the story. One of the stories. I walked down into the basement before my 2.0 tour on Friday night about two years ago. I was putting back, I was putting back the down dowsing rods so they would be ready for my final tour. When I got to the bottom of the stairs, I stopped short because the 400 pound safe was in the middle of the hallway turned facing the stairs. This would have been bad enough, but I only saw it for a moment and then I saw something else. And what I was, what I saw was myself. I could see myself standing exactly where I was. I could see myself from the far end of the basement from someone else's perspective. Suddenly it was as though I was running at myself. I wrenched myself back and ran up the stairs faster than I have ever moved in my life. And that was David Key. K. That would be really weird. He was a tour guide. Um, here's another one. It was a hot, sticky heat wave in August, Milwaukee. We used to have a goodly number of ballerinas from the Milwaukee Ballet Company work as servers and bartenders at Shakers. This was a means to augment the penance they received as a salaried as salaried performers, and their performance attitudes and lith-toned bodies were great for my business. One Tuesday night in the summer of 1998, ballerina Carissa Stitch was working with me. It was a very good sales night for us, and as usual, the crowd was captivated by the vivacious and beautiful Carissa. I closed the kitchen down about midnight and sat at the east end of the front bar at the only open bar stool. I had lit up a lovely David Doff? (laughs) I don't know cigars. Me either. David Doff 2000 cigar, and as my custom, played the ash to its longest conclusion and had a meaningful conversation with my McKellen scotch. Having misjudged the ash structure, I dropped the ash upon the floor. To ensure it was not a viable ember, I watched it for a moment. This life was out of it, but I did not notice a white object inching across the bar floor from the vicinity of the alley door. It was a maggot. 
I grabbed the Bev nap from underneath my scotch and picked up the maggot, disposing it in the waste container behind the bar. As I came around, I saw three more maggots coming from underneath the door. I quickly dispatched the critters, opened the door, and saw a river of magnets. No, seriously, a moving rhythmic wave of maggots moving from east to west, looking for all of the world like a river. From my building across the alleyway to the adjoining bar, nothing but maggots, fully 12 feet across and as far as east down towards one end of the alley and the, and then west towards 2nd Street, as far as I could see, was a slithering mass of maggots Oof. and all moving as one body, undiluting east to west towards 2nd Street. Clearly, I had never seen nor heard of anything remotely like this in my life. I went down to the basement storage, grabbed a case of bleach, and walked out the front door, pouring out and emptying all six gallons upon the building's outer walls. This took me back towards the dumpster behind the restaurant and across the from, from the fire department repair facility, which was writhing with maggots. As was the fire department's cyclone fence to the north of and behind my building. I will never forget the ghastly, head-jarring stench of putrefaction, which hung in the dank summer's humid air. If you had ever smelled a human body decomposing in advanced stages of funk, this was it. Nevertheless, I followed the maggots slipping and sliding all the way to First Street as if I were walking on a skating rink with leather soles. Now this is the odd part. There was no maggots on the sidewalk, neither on First Street nor on Second Street. Rather, they were all moving west from First to Second in a ordered fashion, but they never crossed the threshold of sidewalks, which ran perpendicular to the alleyway. I stood in awe for a moment, trying to rationalize what was taking place, and I only became more befuddled by what I was seeing. Anyway, making my way back into the front door of Shakers, I called Carissa over to the alleyway during doorway to see the maggots, asking her not to scream at what I was to show her. You... By now, no, she screamed and what she saw when we then decided it was time to close. It was now about 12.20 at the time in our history. We were customarily open until 2 a.m. every night as a vibrant late night haunt. After hurrying clients out of the door with whatever flimsy story we concocted, we were about to leave at 12.30 when two Milwaukee police officers entered from the side door as we have been regarded as a federal agent and general copper bar since inception in 1986. Seeing the police at Shakers was not no great surprise. A very good friend of mine, police officer Greg Duran, whom I had known for several years, was the FTO field training officer uh, that night with a brand new rookie. Duran came in looking concerned, everything all right? Why are you closing early? He asked, as he knew it was our custom to open until the legal t limit for closing time. Did you notice anything outside, Greg? I asked. Yes, it stinks like a rotten, rotting dead body and there are maggots everywhere. Well, that's why we're closing, I responded. I explained that I didn't want my 
or any customers to see the maggots crawling around shakers or to catch a whiff of the stench. Duran said he had his partner, him and his partner would investigate Carissa. Carissa and I headed home. Considering that this entire story is ever so disbelievable, any of you wouldn't who knew me in 1998 would have scoffed at this next part. I'm back at 6 a.m. unheard of for me, but I could not sleep and I'm worrying about having to call the health department to report these maggots as a vector problem I cannot control. To my surprise and relief, the alleyway was as clear as freshly poured cement. Not a blade of grass, cigar butt, litter, nothing, and most importantly, no maggots. No smell. I had home I had home to catch some sleep and reflect upon the previous night's folly and return to work at my normal time of 4 p.m. Everything is normal inside as well. I don't see Officer Duran that night, but I did see Star, one of the original psychics who had introduced me to Elizabeth years earlier. I recounted the previous night's adventure to her and asked Star what she thought about the maggots. Without missing a beat, she replied that this was a good sign and that it meant negative energy was leaving the building. Once again, I had no logical explanation, so I deferred to hers. Police officer Greg Duran is now a high-profile Sergeant Duran and would be happy to regale you with this and other tales of this unexplainable phenomenon he had experience here at Shakers, and that was Robert Weiss, the current owner of the bar. That's so weird. I wonder what it was. Like, do you think they were really there? I mean, if like a, I guess a lot of people, a saw lot of people them. saw that. Yeah, it hmm. doesn't seem like it was just one person just kind of like losing it, or m- not even losing it, just kind of experiencing this vision almost it seemed like everybody saw it that's i don't know what i would do maggots are the worst yeah they are just so nasty so nasty Uh, non-believers or people that are willing to experience a paranormal can actually stay in the third floor penthouse for the night estimates say that only about one-fourth of those who attempted actually make it through the night due to ghosts voices cold feelings and the sound of footsteps um, Shaker's Cigar Bar is still a swanky hotspot in Milwaukee and offers a positively rated menu of both drinks and food. I think I want to go and see for it for myself. Just, yeah. And I love good food. Right, me too. The bar itself, from all the pictures I have found, is gorgeous. The current build is not original, but it is still cool since it has pieces in it salvaged from other time-appropriate spots like historical pieces from destroyed Milwaukee homes and buildings. Even the tin ceiling came from a mansion that was torn down on Plankton Street in Milwaukee, uh, which leads people to believe that the building pieces are another link for why there are so many spirits here. That could be. Mm Mm-hmm. But mainly the hauntings are due to the multiple deaths that happened in it and the cemetery it sits on top of. Yeah, anytime you build on top of a cemetery or burial ground, um, you kind of got to assume you're going to be haunted. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Because if somebody was, like, on top of my resting place, I would be knocking on things, too. <laughs> yeah, I'd be like, why are you here? Yeah, like, I'm trying to sleep. Right. <laughs> 
Uh, if you're interested in touring, check out their website at www.shakerscigarbar.com. Um, they also have their own extensive history on there, too, which I grabbed a lot of their information and the um, the quotes from there and the experiences, too. Um, or go and sit and have a drink um, or a cigar there if that's your thing. Yeah. So I, I think I might someday. Yeah, someday we're going to have to check it out. I find it interesting that it's like one of the top five haunted bars. How many haunted bars are in Wisconsin? There must be a few. <laughs> well, now I need to know more. Know. <laughs> and that is a, the history of Shaker's Cigar Bar in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. I like that one. That was a good, like, fun Thank story. Thank you. I wanted to pick us up after last week because that was pretty, uh, it's pretty sad. Yep, pretty intense. Are you going to bring us up or bring no. us down? <laughs> okay, we're going to go down. <laughs> yeah, so this week I'm going to discuss the murder of 18-year-old Angela Hackle. So on Friday, June 12, 1987, Angela went to Hondo's Bar in Sauk City, and she was last seen getting into her boyfriend's car her boyfriend was Ron Lewis. She was seen getting into his car with Terry Bulbricht, who was in his early 20s, and they left the bar. When she failed to return home the next day, her father reported her missing. He reported her missing right away on June 13th. And a few short days after she was reported missing, Angela's body was found, and the scene was quite heinous, so trigger warning. Okay. She was found hanging from a tree trunk, secured by a tire chain around her neck. She had been shot three times in her back with a 22 caliber weapon, which at this point in my research seemed like a really odd murder weapon choice. Yeah. Because 22 signs that deadly. Right. If you're a gun person. <laughs> yeah. They're like itty bitty little guns. Yeah. That almost look like toy guns. Yeah, like, I have a big twenty two rifle, but the bullets are still tiny. Mm -hmm. Like, they yeah. leave, like, a pencil pulp-sized yep. hole. Yeah. So, generally not what you use to kill people. Mm-hmm. Okay, and then she was surrounded by brush in what appeared to be a makeshift pyre. I had to look oh. up what a pyre was, so. That's If you're dark. wondering. Yeah. It's a combustible heap for burning a dead body, and it's some kind of, like, ritual yep. funeral, right? Yep. Did you know that already? I did. I did. You're a smart woman. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> I was like, I don't know what they're talking about. I just, I've watched way too many, like, scary movies. I think it's part of one, like, a conjuring or something like that. Okay. They put her on a pyre, and they I think they say that, too. Okay. Yeah, and the whole the whole murder seemed very ceremonial to me. That's so creepy. Yeah, very creepy. But of course, the first suspect was Terry Volbrecht. Volbrecht came forward to police on June 14th when he found out that Angela was missing and said, like, hey, just so you know, I was with her the night she disappeared. He confirmed he was with Angela when they left the bar. He stated that they had then driven to a marshy area near the Wisconsin River and had sex on a sleeping bag. He says he then Angela drove him back into town and he doesn't know where she went afterwards. Okay. So she was being a little sneaky. No. Okay. In her boyfriend's car. Oh. 
with Terry Wilbrick. Um, and then we don't know. Then Lewis somehow is notified like she's missing and your car is missing, the boyfriend. So the boyfriend Lewis reports finding his car somewhere near the pines and that his twenty two caliber revolver was missing from his glove box. Mm-hmm. So apparently he kept a twenty two in his glove box. Convenient. Mm-hmm. And the cross member that held the transmission up to the car was also missing. Like, whoever had driven his car away had just tore up the whole undercarriage of the vehicle to the point that the transmission was just, like, hanging there. I think they left the vehicle because it wasn't drivable anymore. How do you even do that? Drive on a whole bunch of rocks? I was imagining, like, driving over logs, like, we were in the woods. Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) And there were still many of Hackle's, Angela Hackle's things found in Lewis's vehicle. Um, and two years, so two years after her murder, Terry Volbrecht ended up being charged with the homicide. So for two years, they're like, we think it was him, but we don't really know. But then they're like, yeah, he sounds good. Let's just charge him. That's how it went in my mind. Right, you're right. So... Of course, because his DNA was found on her body. Yeah. And he was the last known person to see her. Mm-hmm. So, who else are you going to accuse? I mean, that seems like it's stacking up. Yeah. And it only took the jury two hours to convict him. Sure. Okay. It's okay. Solved. Have a good week. Great. <laughs> <laughs> or not. <laughs> I, I don't think that's where we're going. <laughs> no. <laughs> As we have seen many times, police and district attorneys can and do get it wrong from time to time. Mm-hmm. So, years after Volbrecht was convicted, three men came forward to say they had heard another man, Kim Brown, a convicted murderer and rapist, state he had murdered Angela. All three heard this from him on separate occasions. Brown is currently serving a life sentence for raping Linda Nackreiner, a 28-year-old woman, who was bound and shot in the back of the head in 1987, just six weeks after Hackle's death, and only about 30 miles from where Hackle's body was discovered. So some similarities. Yeah, it's almost an identical scene. Mm. While Nackreiner's body was found on the ground, Brown admitted he'd chained her to her to the tree by her neck before killing her, so... Mm. She just wasn't on the tree anymore when they found her. But he had tied her to the tree as well. And then an informant, in this one they didn't say what he was convicted for, but this informant said Brown told his cellmates more than once that he enjoyed beating and torturing women, specifically chaining them to a tree and lighting them on fire. Oh my god, this sick fuck. Right? He'd accentuated his story by pointing his fingers in the shape of a gun and saying, boom. The other two people who came forward were both convicted murderers and both had similar stories. One was working with Brown in the prison library in 1992 when he overheard Brown telling another inmate that he had raped and murdered Hackle and then chained her to a tree where he tried to burn her body, but his lighter would not work. Oh, The other man was playing cards with Brown when Brown told him that the person convicted for murdering Hackle did not do it. 
So he's just like, yeah, we're just playing cards. Like, yeah, you know that guy? He didn't do it. I love that they, they're they so, like... So, uh, no, like, nonchalant yeah, about... Yeah, and they just be talking about it to everybody. And I'm like, yeah, you deserve what's coming to you because you're going to get caught. Yeah. Or maybe not. Oh, <laughs> damn it. Brown then went on to describe how he had murdered Hackle and how he disposed of her body. And Brown allegedly told the man that it was better to chain them up and be done with them. Just burn them. Oh. Yeah. So soon the Wisconsin Innocence Project would take on the case for Volbricht. They determined that he may have a case for actual innocence based on new evidence discovered through the post-conviction proceedings. During the post-conviction proceedings... New evidence was discovered, including DNA from semen at the scene that had not been identified. So not only was Volbrick's semen at the scene, but there is another unidentified person semen at the scene. And, w- and this was... Um, it's a tongue twister. <laughs> <laughs> and this was found after this other guy was convicted? Or was it collected and never tested? It was collected and either not tested or not turned over to the defense. Oh, no. Yeah. So, in addition, there's another suspect that had not been previously identified by authorities. A Sauk City police officer. Oh, the plot thickens. Mm-hmm. This is a very twisty, turny one. Right. It's not the guy tying people or tying women up to a tree. It's not that guy. I don't know. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) So apparently a witness had seen Hackle in a squad car on the night of her disappearance. And the defense had never been notified of this information, which is a clear Brady violation. Yeah. So in 2011, Volbricht was granted a new trial based on this newly discovered evidence. Good. And the court summarized the surviving newly discovered evidence as... The work record of Brown and the associated report of Donna Davis, which indicated that Brown was not working on the night that Hackle was murdered. So they originally said that Kim Brown, the one that said he was tying people up and killing them, he had an alibi. But then it comes forward that there was a witness that said, no, he didn't have an alibi. So, the testimony, affidavit, and journal of Heffler, where Brown spoke about liking to chain women to a tree, light them on fire, and shoot them. That was also newly discovered evidence. Um, the testimony and 1987 affidavit of lawyer that Brown stated he liked to chain women up. So, there was another person that also made an affidavit saying the same thing. The statements in Brown's pre-sentence investigation report. He discussed how he had chained his victim that he's convicted of killing Nackreiner to a tree before he shot her. So he had confessed, like, this is what I like to do to probation and parole, who does the pre-sentence investigation reports. And then the Division of Criminal Investigation report stated that there did not appear to be any similarities between the Nackreiner and Hackle homicides, which would tie the two homicides to one subject. But I don't know how they determine that. They're just like, yeah, no similarities. It's literally exactly the same yeah, thing. Yeah, I was going to say, what are you talking about? I'm, I'm not a big fan of the Division of Criminal Investigation. Uh, yeah, I'm <laughs> like, you dropped the ball on that one, guys. Yeah. 
And then there is a testimony from someone named Pepin that Brown informed him in 1993 that he killed Hackle by shooting her three times and then hanging her in a tree with a tire chain at the Pines in Sauk City. And then Schultz testified that sometime around 1992, he overheard Brown tell another inmate that he raped, shot, and tied Hackle to a tree, put brush around her, and was going to light her up, but the lighter failed, and he just threw the lighter away. And then, of course, we have the DNA evidence that an unknown third party semen was found on the sleeping bag and on a vaginal swab taken from Hackle. So this is all the new evidence that they're like, okay, Fulbrecht, we didn't tell you all this, so now you know, so now you can have a new trial. So the judge was like, okay, you can get a bond, okay, and we'll let you out during these new pretrial proceedings. And so a local business person mm-hmm. paid his bond for him. Awesome. And then Brown was questioned during pretrial proceedings and denied any involvement after all this bragging in prison. Yeah. He's like, nah, wasn't me. Really? Yeah. You can't just... What is that singer's name? <sighs> the, the guy who sings, it wasn't me. Shaggy. Yeah, Shaggy. You can't <laughs> shaggy your way out of this. No, you can't. Mm-hmm. But he wanted to try. You're on camera. <laughs> right? No, you're not really on camera. But still. <laughs> they might be. He was in prison. There you go. <laughs> but the DNA discovered in 2002 did not match Brown. Oh, nor did it match the Sox Saudi police Sox City <laughs> police officer. So now the case is left in a more confused state than ever. They're like, okay, so we know Volberg was there. But there we, was somebody else. We got a guy that's saying he did it, but is also saying he didn't do it, and that likes to chain people up and yeah. light them on fire. We got another guy who's clearly was there. Might not be a him, though. Yeah. And then we got this police officer who might be involved, but probably isn't. But maybe he is. Yeah. So, in October of 2013, five months before the trial was set to begin, Volbrecht surprised many by accepting a plea deal and pleading no contest to the murder of Angela Hackle. Oh. So, he was given 25 years for her murder, and since he had already served 22, the judge released him on extended supervision. Wow. And Volbert claims he didn't want to put her family through another trial. Oh. He's like, I just don't, you know, he's going to get out anyway, so he's like, what does it matter to me at this point? Oh, man. Apparently. And now, since the case is technically concluded in the eyes of the law, it seems like there's not going to ever be any real justice for Angela Hackle unless Volbrecht really murdered her. And I really don't think that he did. No, I don't feel that. And I say this because the place where she was found was not by where he said that they were having sex. Like, he's like, no, we are over here. And then she was in a whole other place when she was murdered. And there's no evidence at the murder scene to tie Fulbrecht to the scene. Like, she had his DNA on her from having sex. But other than that, there is no DNA of his. Like, no hair, no shoe prints, no, no cigarette butts, no no nothing to say that he was there. Yeah. So, if it's not Fulbrecht, then the remaining suspects are the unnamed officer, mm. which I did find a name eventually in my digging but i'm not gonna put him on blast that, that's fair yeah that's fair <laughs> i don't want police mad at me no let's not go down <laughs> that road otherwise we have kim brown 
and somehow he just didn't have his DNA there. Or we have, like, there's somebody else oh. that we don't know about. Right, right. It's just somebody random. So let's talk about the officer first. All right. Apparently, he had a thing for pulling women over and offering to let them out of their traffic violations if they perform sex acts with or on him. You should not have a badge. No, but how many police do you think really just become police for, like, the fucking power trip of the whole thing? Uh, More than there should be, yeah. Yeah. And, of course, this information is not substantiated by any facts or testimony that I can find. It's simply a rumor. But it does seem to be common knowledge, as many local women report being warned to not stop for officers in uninhabited areas. Like I hate that we have to be so... Mm-hmm. hyper aware and so like like you can't even trust the police no you can't trust anybody out here like no man at all and then no. people wonder why we act like this right like <laughs> you you wonder why i'm yelling at you in the grocery store for staring at me this is why yeah this is why but okay so he's obviously a shitty cop and people yeah. are telling like their teenagers like don't stop if you see a cop in this area drive to the city yeah But we do know that his DNA was not a match to the DNA at the scene. True. So then we have Brown. Mm -hmm. He knew all the details. Yes. And I don't know how many of those details were publicly released at the time that he was talking about it. But he knew it all. And committed even an almost identical crime. Yeah, my money's on this guy. But there's no physical evidence linking him to the scene. So then we have the boyfriend. Oh... He's never been named as a suspect. I want to make that clear. Mm -hmm. Nobody ever said he was a suspect. But a lot of people, like amateur sleuths that look into the case, wonder if he could have possibly heard that his girlfriend was hooking up with random dudes in his car. And he became upset. But it seems a little, like, extra ceremonial to be an angry boyfriend. It doesn't seem like a rage crime to me. Right, unless he had, I don't know the sense of ceremony already part of his character maybe (laughs) unless he's like secretly a serial killer too right right where he just has fantasies about killing people like brown does and then finally we have a theory that someone else committed a crime almost identical to the one that brown committed so like a random person that we've never figured out a lot of people think that this is really far-fetched but i can see how it would be possible So let's say some crazy killer was in the area, which Mm. we clearly have a lot of them here in Wisconsin. Yeah. We have a whole podcast. Yeah. (laughs) So the killer murders Hackle. And then Brown, who is already obsessed with torturing and raping women, hears about the nature of the crime. Right. And he's like, oh, well, this is what I wanted to do. Right. Or, like... It, like, triggered something in him to actually do it instead of just, like, reading about it. Oh, I hate that. Right. And then six weeks later, he, like, can't stop himself, and he has to fulfill his fantasy, too. Mm. But I don't know. Yeah. I, this is... Most of the time, I'm like, okay, this is who I think it was. But in this case, I have... I'm leaning towards the, like, random person theory. I'm leaning towards the guy who was bragging about it. You think so? Mm-hmm. How do you think he... Who do you think other else's DNA was there? Like, you think she hooked up with two people? 
So they they concluded that it was not his DNA? It was not his DNA. Oh. It was not the cop's DNA. It was oh. not the boyfriend's DNA. Oh, jeez. Yeah, I guess you're right then. All right. I'm- but, I mean, he could have killed her and not had sex with her. True. But then who else is having sex with her? I don't know. Oh, my God. This this story is just... Isn't this bananas? Yeah, it is I bananas. was I was reading about this, like, I have no idea what happened here. Mm, yeah. And now nobody's going to look into it because Volbert took the deal. Right, right. Ugh. So nobody will ever know. Mm-hmm. Unless somebody, somebody comes yeah. forward. <laughs> if you listen to this podcast and you killed someone, please turn yourself in yeah. to the Sauk City Police Department. There you go. <laughs> We'll link in the phone number, make it real easy for you. You can probably turn yourself in right on Facebook. I've seen people do that. Have you really? That's a thing? You you haven't seen that? No. There was this guy, he had a warrant for something, and the police department, like, posted, hey, this is one of the wanted people this week, and he commented on there, like, okay, bro, I'm going to turn myself in next week. I got a few things to handle. Oh, my And then the police were like, okay, sounds good, whatever, gave him some information, and then he didn't turn himself in the next of week. Course. And then police went back on there like, hey, I think you forgot about our appointment. Oh. And he commented back something like, oh, yeah, I ran into some problems, but yeah. I'll be there tomorrow. Oh, He what? ended up turning himself in with this thread this Facebook thread was the funniest thing. Oh. So people do that. Yeah, I didn't know about that. That seems like something I would just like read at all times of the day. Yeah, it was great. <laughs> I loved it. Yeah. Um. Oh, so we... Are you done? Yeah. I'm done because <laughs> I don't know what happened. Yeah. <laughs> In conclusion, I don't know what happened. <laughs> um. I got a few responses from the question that I asked. Oh, did you? Mm-hmm. Um, one of them told me just to go to um, the management and just, like, formulate, like, a plan and tell them, like, how I've been feeling. and yeah. Which is, like, the responsible, mature thing to do. Um, and then my other friend basically was just saying, yeah, I mean, I, I would be weary of him and... So I, it made me feel a little bit validated about how I've been feeling about yeah. this guy. I don't, I still don't know. I think I'm just going to like wait it out. Sorry, guys. I think your feelings are valid. And I don't think I would want to go to management either. Yeah. It feels so. It feels really extra, honestly. It does. And what are they really going to do? Are they even going to care? I don't know. I don't know. I know the 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 owner personally. So he might be like, oh, yeah, we'll, like, look out for you. But I feel weird doing it. Right. Which I get it. Mm-hmm. We shouldn't have to feel like that. Mm-mm, no. Because you're not the one in the wrong. No. That no. somebody else is making you feel uncomfortable. But I get what you mean. Because I wouldn't want to either. Yeah. Yeah. Especially since he hasn't really done anything. Yeah. But it it is preventative. But it's nothing like nothing's happened. So I, the only thing that I can bring up to them is... He makes small talk in the sauna. <laughs> you know? He really likes to talk to me. He They're going to be like... Always talks to well, me. Well, you're hot, so... <laughs> <laughs> of course he wants to talk to right. you in the sauna. Right. Everybody wants to talk to you in the sauna. <laughs> <laughs> and I don't want to be talked to in the sauna. That's like the least... You favorite. need like a shirt that says, please don't talk to me at the gym. <laughs> Ooh, I, I would buy that shirt. Yeah. <laughs> 
I remember being at the gym and this guy just always wanted to talk to me and I used to wear like my earbuds. I just mm. got like big headphones so you mm. cannot mistake that I am not trying to fucking talk to you. Yeah, yeah. That's a good idea. That's a good idea. I might just like pop the Well, and the thing is I always make conversation with my friend because yeah. they're always sitting right next to me. Right. So then lies the problem of that the guy interjecting. Right. So it's a whole thing. It is. And um but I'm always practicing the buddy system. That's good. I'm uh, I'm parking in front of the gym now. Good. And I do carry my knife with me at all times, even in the gym. So watch out. Right. And um, you will get caught if you cross the line. Yes. Yes. I wish it had like a taser with it too. Yeah. But it doesn't. You could get one. Yeah, I could get one. The knife is, like, small enough for me to just, like, put it in my jacket pocket. You can get, like, a little mini keychain one. Ooh, yeah. I like the sounds of that. Yeah. So, yeah. Thank you for your advice and input. I really appreciated that. And I took it to heart. I pondered it. Yeah. I love when people message us. Yeah, me too. Please do. I, my friend, like, every time that we release, she always texts me and she's like, ah, da, da, da. And she gets so excited. And I love it. I love it, too. We love you guys. We love you. All right. I think that's it for me. Yeah, same. All right. Have a good week. Yes, have a great week. Bye. Bye. All the Sins of Wisconsin was written, recorded, edited, and produced by Fallon and Mims. Thank you so much to all of our listeners, supporters, friends, and family that continually allow us to do what we love. If you love our show as much as we love you, please give us a glowing rating and review. Follow us on Facebook and Instagram to see what we are up to and email us your sinner tales at allthesinsofwi at gmail.com. Episodes of All the Sins of Wisconsin are available for free wherever you listen to podcasts. And don't Don't forget, forget, we we love love you. you.